Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners. And like you were told, this is the third week of our Listening to God message series. In just a minute, we're going to jump into that. And I'm going to talk specifically to dads, but of course to everybody else in the room as well. But before we get into all of that, I wanted you to hear some exciting stuff happening in the life of the church. Uh, and Pastor Melissa here is up here to help us explain what's going on. But Melissa, a lot of folks in the room here today don't love Jesus, and they weren't here last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's a joke. And they didn't, get to, they, they didn't get to hear uh, some of the exciting transitions that are happening in our life and ministry that involve you. You want to catch everybody up to what's happening? Yes. So for the last few months, God's been really working on me without me even knowing it. Um, every time I turn to the Bible, which is a lot, he was showing me things about the race he has set out before us. And he was about how to listen to him for direction. And I was reading through Paul's journeys. And, and it was he, Paul was literally guided by God to take a directional turn physically. And he did that. And because of that, nations that had never heard about Jesus were able to hear about him and he did great things through it and I'm reading it and all of a sudden it hit me one day in a staff meeting that God was really talking to me and that I was being disobedient I was turning into my safety zone every time I had a chance and I wasn't continuing this race that he was telling me to take so um, because of that Pastor Ben and I had some conversations and um, so I am after 13 years transitioning out of student ministry which is my cul-de-sac my safety zone which I love and I could do forever and be happy and he's challenging me to step out in faith and to take on adult ministries so um, I'm really excited to put the same kind of programming and not programming but the same kind of energy and intention focus into adult ministry, into marriages, into growth um, in adults that I have been in students for so many years. So I'm really excited, nervous, but excited. Hey, we're really happy about your transition. This week, our uh, job posting for our student ministries pastor went live. If you have somebody that's interested, if you'll direct them to churchstaffing.com. And if you make a mental note, if you ever see my staff on that website, would you please let me know? Um, that's the place where all pastors go to find jobs, and uh, I wouldn't like that. But anyway, uh, churchstaffing.com. Here's the other reason Pastor Melissa is up here. She's jumping into adult ministries, and one of the first initiatives that uh, we're diving in headfirst with is a thing that really started around here about two years ago. We started feeling the Lord prompt us to re-engage what it means to grow as a disciple and to do worship as a community, as, as a church family. And so we've been making tweaks for a while. And uh, that has given birth, that process has given birth to a series of experiences we're calling GROW. Yes. Uh, there are four experiences called GROW. And these are opportunities for us to grow. That's why they're called GROW. So I'm going to say GROW nine Simple, more times. Um, but the first experience in the GROW process for us is an experience around membership. Uh, in the life of our church. And so on July, I'm sorry, on June 25th, next, next Sunday. Sunday, next Sunday, we have our first ever membership experience. And very simply, why don't you tell folks what this is all about? Well, we're going to go through some doctrine, some theology, things that we believe, the history of Four Corners, where we are, where we plan to go, um, some, in, some really, um, some deeper conversations around things like baptism, Lord's Supper, what it is to be a Christian, things that a lot of you may already know, but maybe you haven't thought about it in the way that we're going to teach it. Um, and so I'm really excited. It's, it's going to be a great class. Yeah, and so it's a long experience. And at the end of that experience, uh, you're going to have an opportunity if you come to decide if you want to be a formal part of this church family. Now, if you don't want to do that, this will still be your church home. You can call it home. We'll be your family. But this is for a group of people that say, we want to intentionally, there's our key word, walk in unity around the mission of this place. Well, you can't do that if you don't know it. You can't do that if you don't know why we do what we do. And this experience we're going to have where we're going to feed you dinner starts at 4 o'clock next Sunday, and it's going to go till 7.30. Uh, so is there somebody in the room going, oh, my gosh, that's a long time? They sound just like that. Um, <laughs> what would you say to the person who, who sounds like that first? Is there any medical advice? And then secondly, what would you say to them about their thinking? How would you talk to them? Well, I'm really excited because if you know me, you know that I don't do boring. And so this is not going to be boring. Um, we're going to make it fun. It's going to be an experience you're going to walk away from. Be super glad you came. It's going to give you an opportunity co to connect with a lot of other people here at the church and also get some great, not just information, but some knowledge that's going to help you move, move forward in your relationship with Jesus. So it's not going to be boring. It's going to be fun. We're going to have dinner. We're going to hang out. And I think it's going to be a great team feel. So yeah. yeah. One of the things our team was talking about that so much in our culture, we rush through. There are these very important things. We rush through them. And we felt like this was such an important thing. We weren't willing to rush through it. And so for some of you, a little bit of review. 
but you're going to land on common language that your church family is using. And common language is an important thing. And then for many of you, honestly, there's going to be light bulbs turn on in your thinking as you connect dots that maybe are previously uh, yet unconnected. So we're really excited about this. We have a decent uh, experience plan for you. Today, if you'll uh, check the right box, if you haven't already, we've been doing this for a few weeks, just check the right box when we get to next steps there on your Connect card, and we'll get you that information. Just to let you know, um, we anticipate well over 130 people. Uh, we'll go through our first experience next Sunday. Now, don't prove me to be a liar, but um, there's a whole lot more than that that have expressed interest. And so we're really excited about this. This is the first of four experiences we're going to offer. They're cumulative, so if you take this one, you'll be invited to take the, what we call the 201, which is really about the basics of growing as a Christian. Um, so join the church family, grow deeper in your relationship with God, and then there's some other experiences we'll tell you about as well. Here's my heart, and Melissa, do you remember, you may not, I'm going to put you on the spot, do you remember yesterday when we were, when we were kind of going over our, our comments about today, what we said we hoped would happen to people if they did this, what would happen in their family and in their grandkids, do you remember how we talked about that? Legacy impact. What, what do you mean by that when you say it? Well, I think that when you have impact in someone's life, that's wonderful, it's great, but sometimes it stops there. The, these, these four classes that literally go everywhere, everything from membership and understanding us all the way down to finding your personal mission and then setting you free with that, this is life change that your kids are going to see and experience, your grandkids will then see and experience, and it has the opportunity to take your family from church attenders to followers of Jesus who are totally living out their call, and that's a game changer. It is a game changer, and today when we get through the message, I'm going to encourage you to take some steps in that direction. Finally, if anybody's hesitant at all, you have one more bit of encouragement that you could offer to say you probably want to come to this experience next Sunday night. All of us feel that tug and that pull from God. All of us feel it. Sometimes we're not being quiet. We're not listening, and it's harder to hear, but he's doing it. He's calling all of us to a deeper relationship in this class and this experience that we're going to have. It won't be boring. Um, it's going to take you there. It's going to get you going on that journey. So um, don't miss it. Come out. And you want to be able to say, I was in that first one, So because it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you for following the Lord in your call and in this place. Thanks for helping us lead this experience. Can you say thank you to Melissa for me? That's awesome. Hey, if you pull out your message notes, they look like this. You'll notice right at the top of the page, the date is off. And that's a very simple reason. These were from last week. And because we love the Lord's earth and we eat grass and tree bark and we you know, protect the environment, we didn't want to throw them away and reprint them just to give you the date. So this was the message you were supposed to get last week when we spent time instead talking about all that had happened among our students at Student Mission Camp. If you missed that, jump online. The testimonies coming out of that experience have been incredible. And uh, today, then, we're going to spend some time on this. And I want to just take a moment and say to the dads in the room uh, how proud I am of you for being here today. It may seem like a small matter, but the truth is when you make a priority to come to church on days that you might ordinarily want to sleep in, have breakfast served to you, go to your favorite place to whatever, and you come here, it is a small token way of you saying what your values are. And those values lived out over time in small ways often and sometimes in big ways. Over time, those values get transmitted beyond you, into your area of influence, into your kids, into your marriage, into your workplace. It's a big deal to be a dad in today's culture. It's easy to become a father. You know, it's a very simple process. But the implications of being a dad are huge and incredibly important. And today, while I'm not just talking to dads, I do want to talk to every dad in the room and, of course, every mom, every young person in high school or college, every single person, every married person. I'm talking to us about listening to God and specifically seeking guidance from God. And I can't think of a more important area of life where we need to seek guidance than in our fathering. Now, if that's not where you are today, then maybe it's in some other area of life where you would like to maybe perhaps sit God down at a table and have a conversation and say to him very black and white terms, what would you like me to do about this? Wouldn't it be nice if you could literally pull God up to a coffee table somewhere, invite him to Starbucks, he would buy because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which would be sweet, and you would just say to him, look, I got this thing in front of me, what would you like me to do? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just talk to him? Well, today, I want to show you how one man's experience in the Old Testament might be able to shed a little light on how you can seek guidance from God. 
But before we do that, i got to give the fathers in the room some practical advice. Some of the best advice ever given to me as a father-to-be was that I needed to have at my ready disposal, almost like Batman's utility belt, I needed to have at my ready disposal a handful of jokes that my kids would see as funny and engaging and enjoyable. And I've got them for you today if you want to take notes. Here we go. My kids call these dad jokes. Mm-hmm. What time did the man go to the dentist? Tooth hurty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I work that in about three times a year with my kids. Yeah. Do you hear about the guy who invented lifesavers? They say he made a mint. Yeah, exactly. That's how my kids act. But don't let them fool you, dads. They love this kind of stuff. It's legacy making, as Pastor Melissa says. I remember my dad often going to the store, and when the guy who was ringing up the, uh, you know, the food would say, do you want your milk in a bag? My dad would often say, no, just leave it in the carton. And so I picked up on that, and I'm passing that on to my children. You see how this works, Dad? This is the key. This is the key. How do you make Kleenex dance? You know this one? You put a little boogie in it. Now, that may not be, that may not be funny to you, but when your kid's like four or five years old, that's like gold, man. That's good fathering. That's really, really good fathering. Last night I had a dream. I was a muffler and I woke up exhausted. That, those are my utility belt jokes. I've got a few more that are a little more crass that Jill always, you know, turns up her nose at. But the boys and I think are funny. If you ask me later, I'll share them with you. All right. Let's look at the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament. One of the greatest things about his book in the Bible is that it's only three chapters long. I'm going to give you a next step today at the end of our message. Just read his book this week. And you can say that you've read a book, all right? Now, I'm going to give you a little background about Habakkuk before we figure out what it is his experience can teach us today. He was alive in Israel's history before Jesus at a time when things were kind of rough. Uh, Things weren't great in Israel at the time. Um, They had been kind of overrun by outside forces. That was a normal thing in their history. They'd go through a season where things are pretty good and the geopolitical forces would align themselves against Israel and some stronger, more mighty army would come in and life would just be terrible. And that's exactly where Habakkuk's life is when he opens up his book with the story that we now call the book of Habakkuk. And here's the first line of his of his, of his writing that we have today from God's word used as an example to us. It's simply, how long, O Lord? How long? How long? In a week, my family and I are going to leave for vacation, and there will be a question about 30 minutes into the trip, are we there yet? That's the modern-day equivalent. That's the NIV version of how long. How long is it going to take for us to get there? And he was really asking God, God... I don't like where I am. I don't like what's going on. There are things I'd like to change. How long am I going to be here? And he was implying that somehow God should help. He was, he was looking to God as a part of the solution to get him out of the situation that he was in. It's not bad. In fact, one of the reasons I love this book, it's one of the most honest books in the Bible. Where a person simply looks at God and has a very transparent conversation and says, I don't like where we are. You have power to change this. How long am I going to have to deal with this? In fact, some of you may have come into the room today with a similar opinion about something in your life that's pretty important. Now, how long is this going to last? How long are we going to go through this? How long do we have to deal with this thing with our kid, in our marriage, at work, in my emotions, in my thoughts? How long is that thing that's going to, that happened such a long time ago going to impact me? How long? How long? It wasn't that he just had questions. A lot of people have questions. The thing that makes his story stand out for us and why we can go to it today to get some insight is that he continued to talk to God. In fact, his name, Habakkuk, if you translate it from the Hebrew, uh, that is his original language, into kind of a modern English equivalent, his name means one of two things. And depending on what part of the book, his three chapters you're reading, it could go either way. It means he who embraces God. That's a nice little picture, right? He hugs God. But it may also mean he who wrestles with God. And so you don't know if that hug is a hug of embrace and enjoyment or if it's like, I'm going to take you down, God, because we got some business to do. He wrestles with God. 
He's engaged God deeply and aggressively. Because what's going on in his life really matters to him. And so they start talking. And in this three chapters, you can read it. It's not complicated. In these three chapters, you see this back and forth conversation. And what's going on underneath all of it is, is that he's seeking guidance from God. That's a good thing. So if you came in here today not knowing every step you need to take as you face that situation, if you're looking down the road of your future and you're trying to figure out which turn to take, if you have a decision to make, if you you know, have something weighing in the balance, seeking guidance from God is a good thing. Even if it's not about challenges, perhaps it's about wonderful opportunity. And so from his experience of seeking guidance from God, we can draw a few things. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 there in your message notes, here's what the Bible says. I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied to Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So he's having this conversation with God. He's talking about the world around him. You can do that too. It's a, this book is an invitation for you to do that. And then he says, I'm going to just stand right here and I'm going to watch and engage. I'm going to make some space for God to engage me. And then God says, I'm going to engage you. In fact, I'm going to give you a revelation. I'm going to reveal stuff to you. And when I do, I want you to write it down. And I want you to write it down in such a way one version says that he may run who reads it or that a herald may run with it, making it so plain that the message is clear, simple, easy to engage and follow. I bet some of us in the room today would like a plain, easy to engage, clear message from God, an indicator of what God wants so we can follow it. I want to give you a handful of things here so that perhaps, no matter what you're facing, you can move in the direction of following God's guidance. Number one, God wants to guide you, so believe God cares about the details of your life. If you want to seek guidance from God, if you need to seek guidance from God, I think that it begins with a basic assumption that may seem simple, but it's actually quite profound. That God actually cares about the details of your life. This is important. For some of us, we've been going through things long enough that we may have questioned whether or not God even really cares. In fact, when Habakkuk started his conversation with God, that was his beginning point. How long, God, am I going to, if you continue to read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, how long am I going to call out to you and you don't answer? Do you even really care? I want to remind you today that your heavenly father really does care about you. And I know that today being Father's Day and we're talking about dads, that not everybody in the room had a great experience with their father. And there's no person in the room that had a perfect experience with their father. All of us are somewhere between imperfect and very bad in our connection to our earthly fathers. And the experience we have with our earthly fathers can cast a shadow over what we think and feel about our heavenly father. That's just the way it works. In fact, dads, God designed this world in such a way that our kids would learn from us their first thoughts of their heavenly father. And they would learn it not because we tell them what he's like. They would learn their first thoughts of their heavenly father as they watch their earthly father. And when they see us love them, they would learn about the love of their heavenly father. And when they watch us engage them, even in correction, they learn about the tone and demeanor of their heavenly father. When they watch us avoid things, it gives them a picture of their heavenly father. And we're talking about our heavenly father today, but it could be that you come into the room today a little bit behind the, behind the starting line of a healthy engagement of your heavenly father. And it might be that that's because your earthly father wasn't all that he could be or should be. It might be because you've been involved in the situation you're in so long, you're just losing hope that he really cares. The idea that God is great and God is good, that little prayer that we taught our kids over their food when they were young, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. That little statement, God is great and God is good. You may wonder 
about one of those things. Is he really great? If so, why doesn't he care? And if he's really good, why doesn't he help me? But in seeking guidance from God, it implies that you believe he does care about even the smallest details of your life. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and 32. Jesus is talking and he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, or the folks who have no connection to God, they run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus was talking to the crowds here, and they had real challenges. They literally wondered where they were going to get food, if they had shelter, and if their basic needs of life would be met. That was a common way of life to the audiences Jesus spoke to. They typically ate one meal a day, mostly bread and some kind of thing that looked a little bit like wine. That was it. That was the vast majority of the people he spoke to. And in that environment, Jesus said to them, You don't have to worry about whether or not your father, your heavenly father, cares about you. He knows you have needs of these things. So don't be consumed with worry. And in fact, in the very next verse, my favorite verse in the entire Bible, Jesus says to them, in light of the fact that your heavenly father knows about these things and he cares about these things and you don't need to worry about these things, in light of that, seek first God's kingdom. And all the details of life will be taken care of. Yeah, God cares for you. You may need that reminder today. In fact, you may have to step into that truth a little bit by your brain, a lot by your heart, by, as an act of faith. I'm going to treat God in my engagements with him as if he actually cares about me. Because he does. And that beginning point puts you and I in the best place to receive guidance from God. Number two. I have found, and Habakkuk demonstrates here, that it's powerful when you're seeking guidance from God to ask God a specific question. Number two, ask God a specific question. Here's one I've had to ask many times, Dad, as a father. Ready? James 1, 5. See if you can get the question implied in this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Wow. That's like my life verse. If anybody lacks wisdom. I, I've lacked wisdom, right? Now, I've noticed on occasion some of you have lacked wisdom. I like to focus on that because when I focus on that, I don't have to think about the times I lack wisdom. My wife has lacked wisdom. She has, a couple times. My kids have lacked wisdom, right? It's easy to find out where other people lack wisdom. But this idea here is about talking to God about where you need his help. I have found in every conflict Jill and I have ever had, There's something that needs to be dealt with, but then there are at least two other forces going on at the same time. There's some engagement in me that needs to happen and some engagement in her that needs to happen, even as we deal with our very common thing that's right in front of us. And in that moment, I have often asked God to give her wisdom. In that moment, I have often asked God to bring wisdom to the situation. But we're invited to ask God to bring us wisdom as we engage the things around us. If you're facing something you need some guidance on, you may want to think about believing that God cares about you, walking in that by faith, even if your mind is not fully there. And secondly, you may want to just ask God to give you his wisdom. And it acknowledges that maybe you don't have everything you need. Maybe you can't see it all correctly. Maybe you have knowledge, but you're not sure how to even apply it right now. And so you're going to the source of ultimate wisdom and you're saying to God, God, I need your help here. So God, I know you care and I need your help. It's a good place to begin to find guidance from God. Number three, I think that when you're seeking guidance from God, if you remember that he wants to help you because he cares, that he is an infinite source of wisdom. He knows exactly the steps you need to take. And number three, that if you'll expect that God wants to answer you, God wants to answer you. He wants to guide you. We've been talking in this message series how he does it. He does it primarily through the pages of his word, through the Bible. That's why our students in mission camp were taught the very simple truth And I would love for you to pick it up. If you want to hear God speak to you, open your Bible and read it out loud. When you read your Bible out loud, God is talking to you. 
He wants to help you. James chapter 5, the verse we read, let's look at what the Bible says after that. James 5 through 8. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Look at, look at how he does it. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. He doesn't say, oh, you again? Hmm. You're back? Hmm. Not what he does. He'll give it to you generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now look here. But when you ask... So now, that, now we're getting into stipulations. This is the part of our faith that not everybody enjoys. We love it when we talk about the character and the kindness and the wisdom and the protection of God. But when God says, let me tell you how to apply those things into your life, sometimes we don't read the fine print. Here's the fine print on how God gives wisdom. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What are you to believe? That he cares, that he has wisdom, that he wants to help you. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Man, I've been there in life, have you? We're like, I just don't know what to do. And one person says one thing, I think I need to go this way. Another person says something, I think I need to go this way. I have a good night's sleep, I feel strong, I want to go this way. I have a bad night's sleep, I want to go the other way. I've been tossed about. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And seeking guidance from God, let me tell you what it does. It elicits, it elicits from deep within you, from your mind, from your heart, it elicits what you actually think about God. How much will you press into his guidance says more about what you think about God's character and heart for you than it says about God's character and heart. It says everything about you and very little about him. That's why we're encouraged to ask for wisdom and to trust that his heart for us is good. Dads, your kids begin their journey to the Lord as they walk with you in this earth. They, they set, it sets the tone, their beginning place, of how they'll view their heavenly father. And that's why the role of dad is so important. I think that's why in our world today, and it has been true since there has been a world virtually, that the role of father is under such attack. It's amazing. I haven't done a whole lot of counseling. I've done a little, and this is not a scientific study. It's very subjective. But sometimes when I'm engaging somebody and we've just hit a barrier in their conversation, I'll ask them about their mom. Now, nine times out of ten, it's a safe question. And it, that question about their mom will elicit all kinds of warm and fuzzy feelings. Even if it wasn't great, there's a sense of nurture and care. And a lot of times just in asking about that, we can divert around whatever is the current barrier in the conversation and get to a better place. Right? It doesn't work the same way with dads. There's such a frequent challenge with fathers. I don't understand it all. But I know this. As a guy who's engaged a lot of high school kids who are starting to pull away from parents in a very healthy way and on occasion in a healthy way, that what I want to do as a father is I want to make sure that God is such an active part of my life that as my kids think about the biggest issues in their lives, I've given them the best beginning point to engage their heavenly father. And I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. And on Father's Day, the last thing I want to do is beat dads up. If you're feeling beat up, don't do that. But it could be that you're sitting here today and even already you're feeling a little stirring towards stepping it up with God. I'd encourage you to run with that. If the things of God are back burner for you, today is a great opportunity to bring them to the front of the stove and actively attend to them. There's a lot riding on it. The reason why this church is making a major investment of time and money to bring four unique experiences to everybody that calls this church home so that they can grow is we know, as Melissa said, you will make a legacy impact. And this is not overstatement. This is not preacher hyperbole. Your grandkids will benefit from your full engagement of God. Now, you can't prevent in your engagement all the trouble that they'll have. But you can, here's the phrase we like to use, you can, dads, help drive an anchor in their soul so deep that no matter how the winds of life pull them, that anchor holds. Some will be prodigal children, but they'll come back home. Some won't ever fully be prodigal. They'll have, you know, smaller challenges, and they'll have clarity and purpose 
rather than just asking what they want to do with their life and how they want to make money, some of our children in this church will be asking, God, what kind of person do you want me to be? Which is a much better question. It will produce legacy change in them. And that's why the role of dad is so important. And I know, as I'm saying that, for some of you, this kind of like, it bumps the wounded elbow. And then, then there are very, very precious single parents in our room, and you're just painfully aware of how much you know what I'm saying is true and how much it's just not your reality. And so as a church, we want to come alongside all men and women who have had good dads and maybe not so good dads, but all of us have had imperfect dads. And in this place, we want to spend a lot of time discovering the character and the heart of our Heavenly Father. That's why worship is so important to what we do. Because it's in this worship place that we avert our eyes from the plane of where we live and we lift it up and we focus on him for a bit. And our perspective gets right-sized. Our world gets smaller. Our heavenly father gets bigger. Our problems fall under the shadow of his greatness. Our questions get consumed by his wisdom. Our lack of sure-footedness finds solid ground. And that's why, by the way, the enemy of our soul loves to attack worship. Anything to keep you from worshiping. Because when you get a better image of your heavenly father, it changes the way you do life. So if he can't A, just keep you from getting here. He'd be glad to do it. Anything and everything. I was joking before service with a couple of folks saying, every Sunday I pray a very odd prayer. God, give us good weather, but not too good. Because if it's really good, people won't come. And if it's bad, they won't come. So somewhere in that in-between state of, they look out the window and they go, oh, I guess I go to church. That's how I pray. Like every, sun, every Sunday almost. Because anything that will keep you away. If, he, if circumstance or, you know, and it's, it's okay to miss church. You can go to heaven and not go to church every week. That's not what this is. It's not about guilt, but it's about pressing in. If it's not about missing church, then they'll make church, you know, the enemy of your soul will work to make church not enjoyable for you. There'll be something that captures your attention other than God. You'll find yourself standing in a worship environment as a critic versus an engager. That's my personal challenge. Part of my job for years was criticizing as a functional role I got paid to do all that happened in our environment. And then on Monday through Friday, I worked with the team to get it better. And it's left me in a place where I have to intentionally turn that off because it will eclipse my vision of God in worship. So dads and everybody, press in to God. And for you, yes, but for your children too. And for parents who are parents of adult children, this is, your job's not over. Now you don't have control and influence in the way that you did, but you're still building a legacy. And pressing into God is the best way to ensure that that legacy grabs hold generationally. Because I want to remind you of something. The company you're building will one day go under. It will. It will. The mighty always fall. But God's church is not falling. The kingdom of God is not going to be conquered. When we have been food for worms for a hundred years, people will still be preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Lives will still be changed. It is the only endeavor you'll ever give yourself to that will outlast you multiple generations for eons until the world brings its end to a close. Every investment you make into the God side of your life will produce eternal rewards. The compounded interest on your investment in the God's part of life will produce returns that you can't even fathom. This is what the writer of the Bible was trying to get to when he said, immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. It's powerful. So how do you receive God's guidance? Habakkuk 2.1 again. Let's look at it one more time. I'll stand my watch. I'll station myself on the ramparts. I'll look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. 
Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Number one, let me give you five W's because on some Sundays I like to pretend I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. Here we go. Number one, withdraw, withdraw. Make some time alone in a quiet place to seek God. As I mentioned, in a week or so, my family's going to be heading down to Florida. I withdraw. Jesus withdrew. Luke chapter 5, 16. But Jesus withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. All through the Gospels. That's just one. There's like literally, I think, 18 places where it's referenced that he pulled away. I'll just throw this out to all of you. Maybe you've never even thought about this. When was the last time you carved out some time to quiet your mind, get rid of distraction, and seek God? No, you're doing it today. This is good. This is good. I mean, we're talking about very important things that nowhere else in life are people going to talk to you about this. It's why we're establishing a stronger sense of church family so we can more regularly create these environments where we can seek God and we can encourage one another. But you got to withdraw instead of just sticking to the grind. Let me give you the second part. The least fun of any of them, you have to wait. I know I'm in a room of very impatient people. I know that. It's okay. It's all good. It's the world we live in. Everything we do is built towards convenience and time. It's incredible how many time-saving devices you have in the in your house compared to what they had a hundred years ago and how little time you still have to do what you want to do. Isn't that fascinating? There's all kinds of doctoral dissertations ready to be written on just that concept right there. But when it comes to spiritual matters, sometimes you just have to wait. Slow down and wait expectantly on God. Look at what the psalmist said. He says, be still and know that I am God. There's something about the stillness that gives room for the knowledge of who God is to fully impact you. You can know more when you're still. You can't be still all the time. Of course. You can't wait indefinitely. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations and I'll be exalted in the earth. And if you want him exalted in your life, sometimes you just have to be willing to wait. Look at how the psalmist David did it in Psalm 5.3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. The image he gives us here is that he gets up in his day and he says, I begin it with you. And then I look forward to the day where I, I look forward to the time during my day when you're going to show up. But he carves out that little bit of time. Number three, we withdraw, we wait, we watch. So look for God's leading and evaluate your impressions. Last two weeks ago, we talked about evaluating impressions. God's never going to give you an impression that contradicts his word. So you start first with the word of God. In our experience with the prophet Habakkuk today, he says, I will, I will look to see what he will say to me. And he's waiting. He's looking. He's listening. He's actively anticipating. And God can show up in a variety of ways. Number four, write it down. Writing your impressions can bring clarity, simplicity, and speed. Before you ever begin to act on an impression, it needs to be vetted. I have found there's great power in writing. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. It's pretty incredible what can happen when you're seeking God and you begin to get some thoughts. You put them down on paper and you create space to evaluate that stuff. Then number five, the greatest piece of advice I could give you. In the middle of it all, worship. Because trusting God through the process helps you grow spiritually. Do you know when you probably need to worship more? When you're struggling with something. It's okay. It's okay if turmoil, tension, and transition drive you back to more fully engage God. It's okay. It's fine. Most of us find him not when he gives us the light, but when we feel the heat. That's when we pursue him the most. That's when we're most teachable. That's when we're most eager to run. That's okay. It's not wrong. It's actually good. It's part of how God reaches out and loves you. He lets life take you to a place where you want to pursue him more. 
But those lessons learned in those times need to be held on to. And the way to keep it fresh is to keep your heart open to worship. Turn Habakkuk chapter 3. The very last words of the prophet Habakkuk. Remember, it's only three chapters. You can read this in half an hour. Here's how Habakkuk came to the end of his journey that started with, how long, O Lord, am I going to have to wait on you? Look at his words now when he got done talking to God, when he was waiting on God, when he was watching, when he wrote things down, when he continued to worship. Look at what he writes. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Wow. That's an attitude where God has gotten bigger than his perspective. All the stuff of his agrarian life is, is kaput. It's, it's bad. It's, it's not where he wants it to be. And he says, and yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He strengthens our legs so that we can bound the heights. This is the power of worship and of waiting on God. In what was one of the most challenging moments and seasons of my life, I had no idea where to go and what to do. The church of my childhood was no longer a place where I felt fully at home. Through a variety of events, I came to a place in my adult life with my wife in our ministry, the thing we wanted to do in our life, and the path that we thought was in front of us was blocked. And I was frustrated and angry. In the middle of that season, we made a decision we were going to move to Ohio. Our daughter was being raised in Florida. That's a long way from her family in Waynesville and from my family in Tennessee. And we could move to Ohio, and I had some opportunities for employment. And we would, I would just land a job and figure out what we were going to do. So that's what we did. But the dream that I had for pursuing God in ministry wasn't over. I was just blocked. In the church of my childhood, there were no opportunities for me to go. So one day, I went to church. And it wasn't even my home church. We hadn't found a home church. I was very much in the middle of searching for a church. For those of you that have searched for a church, you have my sympathies. I hate that process. It's ugly. If you're searching, let me just encourage you, be done. You're at home, all right? (laughs) That's not my point of my story, but anyway, I hated the process. I found the church we were going to attend four different times. We'd say, this is our church. Like three weeks later, I'd look at you and say, this, this ain't our church. And then we go to another place like three or four times. We're like, this is it, look. And then like two weeks later, I don't like them. Um, that's kind of the way it went. And so I was stuck. I was frustrated. And we walked into a church. The minister gave the message. I was hungry for God. I was desperate. And I didn't have answers. So he gave his sermon. At the end of the sermon, I walked out. Jill went to get our daughter out of child care and those of you that have ever gotten a child out of childcare, you have my sympathies. I hate that process. It's, it, you know, it can be chaotic. It's just what you got to do. So I let Jill do the heavy lifting that day, and I went and stood in the lobby. And the guy that gave the message from the stage walked out into the lobby. And I enjoyed the service. It was good. And I know that pastors need encouragement. And so with a little bit of hyperbole, I looked at him and I said, great job. It was at best a good job. But I said... Great job today. I put out my hand, shook his hand. And when I began to pull my hand back, he held on. And I had been reading, praying, talking, planning, strategizing, waiting, watching. Began to pull my hand back and he gripped a little harder and he said, tell me your name. And I said, my name's Ben. And he said, Ben, it's good to meet you. And I don't know if you believe in this sort of thing or not, but I think God just spoke to me. And I was like, this is going to get interesting. (laughs) And he said, I think God wants to use you to do great ministry in Cincinnati. And we should meet every month one-on-one and talk about it. Well, I was a puddle. I held it in. He didn't know. I looked at him and kind of squeaked out, that'd be great. He gave me his phone number. You know, I was going to follow up. 
I can't make those things happen for you. That began a series of conversations where I began to serve in that church, helped that church do some incredible ministry, built credibility over time. And eventually that made its way to a deep investment into me as a human being and as a person and as a pastor. That organization, that group of people that I met in that place became the seed money for what would become Four Corners Church. And so the word of God came to me through a handshake. But really what happened was God confirmed his work in me. And I think that it could be that God wants to give you a deep impression filtered through the pages of his word that speaks right to the situation you're in. I don't know all that you need to do to receive those. Can't manufacture them. There's no science here. And it can get weird real quick. But I know this, that you can put yourself in a place to be receptive. And there's no better advice I can give you than to be a worshiper. To make the worship of God a priority and keep turning your eyes to him. And that's why, dads, I think you should lead your family in this. And I don't offer that to bring condemnation or guilt or to remind you of what you have or haven't done. But your children can see you constantly lean in. It won't be that you'll have all the answers and it won't be that you do it right. And it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there aren't going to be challenges and black marks on your record. But what there will be is a legacy of leaning into your heavenly father. And when they don't have answers to their circumstances and when their life takes them to places they would never wish to be, they will have an anchor that in God is the answer. That Jesus is the solution. And more of God is always better. And they may not follow that, but they'll know it. And your grandkids will thank you. And their kids. And maybe even after your name is forgotten in the annals of your family history, what won't be forgotten is those spiritual seeds that always produce season after season. As I've prayed for dads and for men in this room particularly... I have prayed that you would be so passionate about your pursuit with God that everything else becomes second place. And as a church, we're committed to giving you experiences that will challenge you to grow. But you'll have to man up and take advantage of them and attempt to walk in obedience to what God's calling you to do. We can't take that part of your journey for you. We'll open the door. We'll hold it open. We'll make a seat for you. We'll feed you, make you laugh. But you'll have to decide to obey and follow. And I think if you're seeking God right now, or if you ever come to a place where you're going to seek him, a legacy of following and engaging God will put you in the right place to do that. And so whether you're a husband, a father, a man, or anybody else in the room, would you grab out your connect card right now? And let's actually take a couple steps together in these directions. So if you're a regular attender around here, you know that this is the point where we pull out that card that we began to fill out earlier. And every week I do the same thing. I look at people who aren't yet in a relationship with Jesus and I say something like this, today would be a good day. Today would be a good day to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. It's not so much something you do, it's something you accept. You have to agree with what the Bible says about you and it's not a pleasant truth that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, you need a savior. But God has sent his one and only son to be your savior. And he'll take you just as you are. And the son that God sent did all the work for you. He gave his life on a cross. He was resurrected from a tomb. He's no longer dead. And if you'll trust the work that Jesus has done to cover your sin, that trust will bridge the gap between you and your heavenly father. You can have a relationship with him. I don't know what your earthly father was like, but your heavenly father is very good. He's never thought an evil thing about you. And he can be depended upon. And he's only wanted your best. Now I'm gonna give you a chance to invite him into your life by checking next step A and praying with me in a few minutes. Or perhaps today you need to choose to be baptized and you've already gone public with your faith, but you're not yet in a you know, public acknowledgement to this family here at Four Corners or some other church that you have given your life to Jesus. We'd like to celebrate that with you. 
And you just check the box and that begins the conversation. Or next step C, perhaps today, I've encouraged you that you could read the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, just three chapters long. You have enough orientation now, all the words will make sense to you. And read one man's story of being stuck, but finding satisfaction in God as he sought him. Next step D is just a chance for you to be honest and say, hey, would, would you guys pray with me as I seek guidance from God? If you're going through something, you wanna tell us about it, use that comment section. Or if you just wanna generally say, I need God's guidance, just check this and have confidence that on Tuesday morning when our staff gathers, we're praying for you. And regularly throughout the week, the comments and the prayer requests that you make make up my prayer time for the rest of the week. We'll pray with you. We wanna support you that way. And then next step B is our last opportunity to sign up for the 4C membership experience, the first of four growth opportunities. And at the end of this first one, if you wanna be a formal part of this church family, you'll be given an opportunity to do that. Either way, you'll know all that it means. Let's pray about these things right now and we're gonna worship one more song together. Father, I wanna thank you that you're really good. I thank you, Lord, that you do not change. There is no shadow in you. There is no turning. And that gives us confidence. God, I wanna thank you for all the men, all the dads in this room. God, you know we need you. The task was bigger than us before it even began. And so we come to you, Heavenly Father, and we ask that you would guide us, that your wisdom would be our wisdom. We would seek you with our hearts and we would find you. Lord, I pray not just for dads, I pray for men and for women, for high school students, for single people, for married people. God, I pray. I pray, Lord, that your worship would be a priority for us. That as we worship, you'd give us a bigger and more clear image of who you are. And that image of you then would illuminate the steps we're to take. God, would you make us bold enough and brave enough to follow you? I thank you, Lord, for those folks in this room that are declaring right now, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I want to follow you with my life. I trust the work you've done on the cross and in your resurrection. Lead me and I'll follow you. Now, Father, I pray for every heart here today that you would fill it with encouragement, that no matter what our path has been up to this point, that from this point forward, we would walk in confidence knowing that our Heavenly Father loves us, that He's good for us, that would give us boldness, it would give us joy, it would heal the hurts. And Father, I pray a special prayer for those parents in this room that are doing double duty. God, would you fill them up? Would you give them strength? Would you send your family around them as encouragement and as practical help? We love them, Lord. We're in awe of the sacrifice they make. And grow our church family to deeper and deeper depths with you. Not so that we can be filled and puffed up with knowledge, but so that your light can shine to us into a dark world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.